0: Section Ten of the Oakdale Affair by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As the three held a council of war at the rear of the deserted house, they were startled by the loud squeaking of brake bands on the road in front. Bridge ran quickly into the kitchen and through to the front room, where he saw three men alighting from a large touring car which had drawn up before the sagging gate as the foremost man big and broad-shouldered raised his eyes to the building bridge smothered an exclamation of surprise and chagrin nor did he linger to inspect the other members of the party but turned and ran quickly back to his companions we've got to beat it he whispered they brought burton himself down here who's burton demanded the youth he's the best operative west of new york city replied bridge as he moved rapidly toward an outhouse directly in rear of the main building once behind the small dilapidated structure which had once probably housed farm implements, Bridge paused and looked about. They'll search here, he prophesied, and then those woods look good to me. The Squib's Woods, growing rank in the damp ravine at the bottom of the little valley, ran to within a hundred feet of the outbuilding. Dense undergrowth choked the ground to a height of eight or ten feet around the boles of the close-set trees. If they could gain the seclusion of that tangled jungle, there was little likelihood of their being discovered, provided they were not seen as they passed across the open space between their hiding place and the wood. We'd better make a break for it, advised Bridge, and a moment later the three moved cautiously toward the wood, keeping the outhouse between themselves and the farmhouse. Almost in front of them, as they neared the wood, they saw a well-defined path leading into the thicket, Single file they entered, to be almost instantly hidden from view, not only from the house but from any other point more than a dozen paces away, for the path was winding, narrow, and closely walled by the budding verdure of the new spring. Birds sang or twittered about them, the mat of dead leaves oozed spongily beneath their feet, giving forth no sound as they passed, save a faint sucking noise as a foot was lifted from each watery seat. Bridge was in the lead, moving steadily forward, that they might put as much distance as possible between themselves and the detective should the latter chance to explore the wood. They had advanced a few hundred yards when the path crossed through a small clearing, the center of which was destitute of fallen leaves. Here the path was beaten into soft mud, and as Bridge came to it he stopped and bent his gaze incredulously upon the ground. The girl and the youth, halting upon either side, followed the direction of his eyes with theirs. The girl gave a little involuntary gasp, and the boy grasped Bridge's hand as though fearful of losing him. The man turned a quizzical glance at each of them and smiled, though a bit ruefully. It beats me, he said. What can it be? whispered the boy. Oh, let's go back, begged the girl. And go along to father with Burton? asked Bridge. The girl trembled and shook her head. I would rather die, she said firmly. Come, let's go on. The cause of their perturbation was imprinted deeply in the mud of the pathway, the irregular outlines of an enormous naked human foot, a great uncouth foot that bespoke a monster of another world, while still more uncanny in view of what they had heard in the farmhouse during the previous night, there lay, sometimes partially obliterated by the footprints of the thing, the impress of a small bare foot a woman's or a child's, and over both an irregular scoring that might have been wrought by a dragging chain. In the loft of his father's hay barn Willie Case delved deep into the small red-covered volume How to be a Detective, but though he turned many pages and flitted to and fro from preface to conclusion, he met only with disappointment. The pictures of noted bank burglars and confidence men aided him not one whit for in none of them could he descry the slightest resemblance to the smooth-faced youth of the early morning in fact so totally different were the types shown in the little book that willie was forced to scratch his head and exclaimed gosh many times in an effort to reconcile the appearance of the innocent boy to the hardened criminal faces he found portrayed upon the printed pages but by gall he exclaimed mentally he said he was the oskaloosie kid and that he shot a man last night, but what I'd like to know is how I'm going to shatter him from this here book. Here it says, if the criminal gets on a street car and then jumps off at the next corner, the good detective will know that his man is aware that he's being shadowed, and will stay on the car and telephone his office at the first opportunity. And here it says, if your man gets into a carriage, don't run up and jump on the back of it, but simply hire another carriage and follow how in the heck can i foller this book wailed willie they ain't no street-cars round here i ain't never seen a street-car and as far as a carriage i reckon he means bus they's only one of em in oakdale and if in they was forty i'd like to know how in heck i'd hire one when i ain't got no money i reckon i threw away my four bits on this book it don't tell a feller nothin about false whiskers wigs and the like and he tossed the book disgustedly into a corner rose and descended to the barnyard here he busied himself about some task that should have been attended to a week before and which even now was not destined to be completed that day since willie had no more than set himself to it than his attention was distracted by the sudden appearance of a touring car being brought to a stop in front of the gate instantly willie dropped his irksome labor and slouched lazily toward the machine the occupants of which were descending and heading for the case front door. Jeb Case met them before they reached the porch, and Willie lolled against a pillar, listening eagerly to all that was said. The most imposing figure among the strangers was the same whom Bridge had seen approaching the Squibbs house a short time before. It was he who acted as spokesman for the newcomers. As you may know, he said after introducing himself, a number of crimes were committed in and around oakdale last night we are searching for clues to the perpetrators some of whom must still be in the neighborhood have you seen any strange or suspicious characters around lately i should say we had exclaimed jeb emphatically i seen the worst-looking gang of bums come out in my hay-barn this mornin that i ever seed in my life they must have been upward of a dozen of them. They was making for the house when I steps in and grabs my old shotgun. I hollered at em not to come a step nearer, and I guess they seed it want safe monkeying with me, so they skedaddled. Which way did they go? asked Burton. Off down the road yonder, but I don't know which way they turned at the crossins or if they kept straight on toward Millsville.' burton asked a number of questions in an effort to fix the identity of some of the gang warned jeb to telephone him at jonas prim's if he saw anything further of the stranger's and then retraced his steps toward the car not once had jeb mentioned the youth who had purchased supplies from him that morning and the reason was that jeb had not considered the young man of sufficient importance having catalogued him mentally as an unusually early specimen of the summer camper with which he was more or less familiar willie on the contrary realized the importance of their morning customer yet just how he was to cash in on his knowledge was not yet entirely clear he was already convinced that how to be a detective would help him not at all and with the natural suspicion of ignorance he feared to divulge his knowledge to the city detective for fear that the latter would find the means to cheat him out of the princely reward offered by the oakdale village board he thought of going at once to the Squibbs' house and placing the desperate criminals under arrest but as fear throttled the idea in its infancy he cast about for some other plan Even as he stood there thinking, the great detective and his companions were entering the automobile to drive away. In a moment they would be gone. Were they not, after all, the very men, the only men, in fact, to assist him in his dilemma? At least he could test them out. If necessary, he would divide the reward with them. Running toward the road Willie shouted to the departing sleuth. The car, moving slowly forward in low, came again to rest." Willie leaped to the running board. "'If I tell you where the murderer is,' he whispered hoarsely, "'do I get the fifty dollars?' Detective Burton was too old a hand to ignore even the most seemingly impossible of aids. He laid a kindly hand on Willie's shoulder. "'You bet you do,' he replied heartily. "'And what's more, I'll add another fifty to it. What do you know?' "'I seen the murderer this morning.' Willie was gasping with excitement and elation. Already the one hundred dollars was as good as his. One hundred dollars! Willie goshed mentally even as he told his tale. He come to our house and bought some vittles and stuff. Pa didn't know who he was, but when Pa went inside he told me he was the Oscar Lucy kid and that he robbed a house last night and killed a man, and he had a whole pocket full of money, and he said he'd kill me if I told detective burton could scarce restrain a smile as he listened to this wildly improbable tale yet his professional instinct was too keen to permit him to cast aside as worthless the faintest evidence until he had proven it to be worthless he stepped from the car again and motioning to willie to follow him returned to the case yard where jeb was already coming toward the gate having noted the interest which his son was arousing among the occupants of the car Willie pulled at the detective's sleeve. Don't tell Pa about the reward, he begged. He'll keep it all hisself. Burton reassured the boy with a smile and a nod, and then, as he neared Jeb, he asked him if a young man had been at his place that morning asking for food. Sure, replied Jeb, but he didn't mount to nothin'. One of these here summer camper pests. He paid for all he got. Had a roll of bills as big as ye fist. Little feller, he were not much older'n Willie. Did you know that he told your son that he was the Oskaloosa kid, and that he had robbed a house and killed a man last night? Huh? exclaimed Jeb. Then he turned and cast one awful look at Willie, a look large with menace. Honest, Pa, pleaded the boy, I was a scared to tell you, cause he said he'd kill me if I told. Jeb scratched his head. You know what you'll get if you're lying to me he threatened. I believe he's telling the truth, said Detective Burton. Where is the man now? he asked Willie. Down to the Squibbs' place, and Willie jerked a dirty thumb toward the east. Not now, said Burton. We just came from there. But there has been someone there this morning, for there is still a fire in the kitchen range. Does anyone live there? I should say not, said Willie emphatically. The place is haunted, that's right, interjected Jeb. That's what they say, and this here Lucy kid said they heerd things last night, and seed a dead man on the floor. Didn't he, Randy? Randy nodded her head. But I don't take no stock in what Willie's been telling you, she continued, and ef his pa don't lick him I will. I told him till I'm good and tired of talking that one liar around a place was all I could stand, and she cast a meaning glance at her husband. "'Honest, Ma, I ain't a lyin,' insisted Willie. "'What do you suppose he give me this for, if it wasn't to keep me from talkin?' And the boy drew a crumpled one-dollar bill from his pocket. It was worth the dollar to escape a thrashing. "'He give you that?' asked his mother. Willie nodded assent. "'And that ain't all he had, neither,' he said. "'Beside all them bills he showed me a whole pocket full of jewelry, and he had a string of things that I don't know just what you call em but they looked like they were made out in the inside o' clam shells only they was all round like marbles detective burton raised his eyebrows miss prim's pearl necklace he commented to the man at his side the other nodded don't punish your son mrs case he said to the woman i believe he has discovered a great deal that will help us in locating the man we want of course i am interested principally in finding miss prim her father has engaged me for that purpose but i think the arrest of the perpetrators of any of last night's crimes will put us well along on the trail of the missing young lady as it is almost a foregone conclusion that there is a connection between her disappearance and some of the occurrences which have so excited oakdale i do not mean that she was a party to any criminal act but it is more than possible that she was abducted by the same men who later committed the other crimes end of section ten